Okay, today's passage comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 21 through 29. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, good morning. Let's pray together, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that the refreshment of your spirit is here and with us now. Thank you for the rain that soaks the earth and nurtures life. And Lord, thank you for your word that soaks into us, changes us, and nurtures your spiritual life in us. And Lord, we pray that we would have soft soil hearts this morning, that your word could go deep and that we would learn in a more profound way than ever of your grace, your goodness, your love for us today. So Lord, open our hearts to you, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin with a question this morning for you to consider just for yourself. I want you to look back on your week, this past week, and I want you to rate your performance. Now, 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, and 10 is you are absolutely Christ-like. <laughs> perfect in your attitudes, perfectly loving to all those around you. Uh, and number one is you should be in jail, you just kind of got away with it. <laughs> okay? Now, I want you to think about that. Just take a second and think about it and honestly rate yourself. Think about your behavior, your attitudes, your self-centeredness this week. Give yourself a number. And then I want to ask you another question. In light of that number, how do you think God views you right now? In light of that number, how do you think God views you right now? I love this passage we're looking at today because I think the concepts, if we can grasp them, they will be life-changing for you and for me. Because it all has to do with performance. As I've titled the sermon, The Performance Trap. We're taught early on from the time we're little children to live by performance, aren't we? We learn pretty quickly that if we do what pleases our parents, life goes better. If we don't do what pleases our parents, then life can get pretty painful, you know? <laughs> Certainly did for me at times. If we're smart, although many of us are very slow learners, 
Uh, We'll do our best to please those over us in authority and avoid those things that will bring anger or punishment. Now, we learn that at home to some degree, but it gets carried over into life, isn't it? Doesn't it? Into school. If you do well, if you perform well, you get good grades. Uh, The teacher likes you. As long as you're not too smart, otherwise, you know, the other kids think you're a nerd or whatever. But, um, and then you get into the work world and you find that too. You know, if you play video games all day on your computer at work, you're probably not going to be there very long. You need to perform. You need to be successful at your job. You need to perform at life if life is going to go well. That's one of the major principles of this world in which we live in. It's a performance-oriented world, and we all learn that. And in fact, all religions of the world function by this principle of performance, except true Christianity. All religions of the world function by this performance principle, except true Christianity. So we come to Christ, and we enter the kingdom of God, and we enter by faith into this relationship with the living God where it doesn't depend on our performance, we're told. It's a life on a whole different plane. It's kind of like uh, I think of the children who enter into Narnia in the Narnia tales of C.S. Lewis, and they walk in and they realize life has changed. Or Dorothy you know, we're, we're not in Kansas anymore. The Christian life is in a whole different plane than the world around us. We live differently. But the problem is we become Christians, but we're so used to living by a performance mentality, by that principle that we tend to bring it right into the Christian life. And we try to relate to God based on performance, what Paul calls the law. And the trouble is the law always destroys. It always kills. It's deadly. That's why Paul is so concerned in this book of Galatians. Because these churches he's poured his life into, he's taught the gospel and they experienced great freedom, were beginning to be bound by law. They were falling into performance, beginning to think that there are certain things they had to do to be on God's good side, to get God's blessing to be children of the promise. For them specifically, they were being taught, these Gentiles who had come to Christ, that they had to become Jews, carry out Jewish traditions and Jewish laws along with their faith in Christ, Jesus plus. And it was destroying their lives. They were falling back into performance, which we so easily do. So unless we can learn to recognize it and begin to live in Narnia, to live in this new world, the kingdom of God, our lives will be bound up like these chains hanging behind me. They'll be bound up. And Paul says, no, I want you to be free and experience the fullness of your freedom in Christ. And so today we want to look at what Paul says in particular about the performance trap. Let's look at what Paul teaches in Galatians 3:15 through 29 about the performance trap. Trap, so we can understand it more and understand what God really wants for us as His children. 
Paul begins in verse 15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. He goes on to talk about the promise to Abraham. That God came to Abraham and said, I promise to bless you. We studied that not very long ago in Genesis, didn't we? I promise to bless you and to make you a blessing to all the nations. It was a promise from God directly to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we say, oh yeah, that's rules, laws, regulations, but the New Testament, we live by faith. Well, in fact, what Paul's teaching is that God's plan all along was that we live by faith. Faith in God, faith in his promises. And it began with Abraham, who was a man of great faith. He is our greatest example of a human living by faith, trusting God. And that was God's plan all along. That's how we receive the promises. That's how we get blessed, is like Abraham, to trust God, to live by faith. But... People ask, well, what about the law? You know, because the Jews were thinking, but the law is what God gave us so that we can relate to him properly. Paul's argument, as you go on, and I'll let you read it on your own, he says, look, the law came 430 years after the promises came to Abraham. And it only came temporarily for a time until the promised seed came. And he makes a point, not to seeds, not all of Abraham's descendants, Not everybody who's born a Jew is an inheritor of the promise. Ultimately, only one is the true inheritor of the promise, and that's Jesus himself, he says. So the law came just temporarily in between because God had a purpose for the law until Christ should come. And then when Christ comes, the law is no longer needed. Paul said, why the law then? Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. It was given through mediators. It didn't come directly through God. It came through angels to Moses to the people. It was temporary. But God's original relationship with Abraham is the same relationship he wants with you and with me. Not one based on law, not one based on performance, but rather one based on faith in his work and what he's done, not us. Amen? Yeah, that's God's plan. It's always been his plan, all through the Old Testament, all the way up to the present. Okay? So the law was only in force until the true seed of Abraham would come, Jesus. And then the law would no longer be necessary. It was temporary. We need to understand that. The law was never God's original plan. I mean, it was part of the plan, but it wasn't his way of us getting the promise and getting blessing. But imagine a good Jew reading this and hearing this. They would go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can we be right with God if we don't keep the laws, the dietary laws, the ritualistic laws, the festivals, etc.? You're saying the law is no longer necessary for us, Paul. It's not our way to life. It's not our way to get on God's good side. Paul, you are crazy. That's all we've ever known in life, just like you and me. Really, that's all we've ever known in life is living by performance. 
We must obey certain rules to please God. So Paul's argument here begs the question, right? Well, why the law then? Why did God bring the law for that intervening period until Christ came? What was the purpose of the law? Why not live by performance? What was the law for? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Paul answers that question. He wants us to understand what the law accomplishes, what performance performance accomplishes for us, what it actually does for us. Notice what he says in verse 21. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? No, may it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have indeed have been based on the law. The first thing he wants us to know about how the law works is to realize it cannot impart life, spiritual life. It cannot bring blessing from God. No matter how hard you perform, no matter how high your number, you cannot earn God's favor. Now, we know this theologically, but practically we live that way all the time, don't we? We try to earn God's favor, and when we mess up, we feel like he's displeased with us. But Paul wants us to know that the law cannot impart spiritual life. Scientists have been working really hard to try to create life for many, many years. They'll never do it. Because life is a gift from God. They can alter it, they can mess with it, but... Mankind will never create life because life is a gift from God. Physical life. But so is spiritual life. No matter how hard we work, we will never create spiritual life. We can never do enough to impart life. No matter how we perform, it cannot create spiritual life. It cannot, now hear this very carefully, Our performance, what we do, trying to be a good Christian, cannot impart spiritual growth to us. It cannot impart intimacy with God. Now understand, you know, reading the Bible, praying, etc., creates an environment where God can work, and He can create spiritual growth. He can impart life, but that's up to Him. Nothing we do can create spiritual growth or spiritual life because it's a gift from him. You see, trying to somehow grow or create spiritual life by our efforts is like trying to bake a cake and your only ingredients are dirt and water. No matter what ratio you mix those two in, (laughs) you're never going to create a cake. It cannot happen because you do not have the ingredients to make it happen. And when we live by performance, our only ingredients are our own flesh, see? Uh, Immediately when you turn to performance, trying to make it happen, trying to please God by your own efforts, all you have to draw on is the flesh, and the flesh has no spiritual life in it. It cannot create spiritual life. It cannot. It cannot. Or it's like standing on the edge of a cliff and being told, okay, you need to fly. No matter how hard you flap your arms, if you step off that cliff, you're going to (laughs) die. You cannot fly because you do not have what it takes 
And that's the way it is with performance. We don't have what it takes to impart spiritual life, to create life in us. So Paul goes on to say the law does two things. Performance, our own performance, essentially does two things. God did bring it for a purpose. There is a purpose in giving the law, in having us try to live by performance. It says, for one, it imprisons us. It keeps us in custody. It traps you. (laughs) This word is used a couple of times in this passage. It's a word that's used of when a fisherman encloses and captures fish in a net. And they're trapped. They can't get out. They can't go anywhere. They're trapped. You see what the law does when you try to live by law? It traps us in our own self-effort, in sin, in the flesh, in condemnation. It produces condemnation. That's what it does. It traps you because you only have your own flesh to draw on. You just don't have the ability to have anything else happen. So when you start to live by performance, okay, this is what I should do to be a good Christian, and you try hard to do it, eventually what's going to happen, you may be able to clean up your outsides to a certain degree, but when you start really understanding what performance is all about, Jesus says, do not lust. Adultery is wrong, you've heard, yeah. But I say to you, if you've even lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. We're told not to murder, he says, Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, if you've even been angry at a brother or sister, you've murdered them. Same thing. And you begin to see how great the lie is, and it begins to trap you and imprison you because the more you try, the more trapped you are in your own condemnation. The picture I think he has here is, is what the law does is it puts you on death row. Like a condemned prisoner on death row, what the law does, it always reminds you you're not measuring up. You're condemned. You blew it. That's what happens when we live by performance. Then he uses another analogy here. My translation says a tutor or being under supervision. This word for tutor is uh, tutor's not a great translation, really. It's, um, it's hard to translate into English because we don't have the exact word, but really it's more of a, an au pair or a nanny. You see, what happened in the Greek world in that day is a wealthy Greek household, when kids were born, they would assign a slave to watch the kids, the little ones, like a nanny. Only these nannies weren't like Mary Poppins or Maria on Sound of Music, you know, singing songs and having fun and climbing trees and all those things. Uh, These slaves, these au pairs, the Greek word is pedagogues, were ones who were there to keep you in line. And if you ever stepped out of line, they were there to point it out. Don't go there. Stop that. Uh Uh-uh. Can't do that. Stay out of that room. And to keep you in line, and to, they would guide the kids to school, take them to school and back. They wouldn't teach them, but they would just always point out when they were stepping out of line. That's what the law does. It simply is there to remind you when you're messing up, when you're guilty, when you're wrong, when you've stepped beyond the boundaries. That's why it says the law is given in verse 19. He says, 
It was added, why? Because of transgressions. To make very clear that we can't keep the law, that we are failures, that we are not measuring up, no matter how hard we try. So if you find in your Christian life that you feel frustrated, you feel like a failure, you feel condemned, you feel guilty, well, in one sense, praise the Lord. The law is doing its work. The law is doing its work. But he says he's a tutor. The law is a tutor or a nanny to bring us to Christ. You see, the law points out we're failing so that we will finally say, I give up. I cannot do it on my own. And then we begin to turn to faith and to trust in his work in us, in him working in us, trust in a relationship with him rather than our self-effort. And all of us need to go through that to figure out that we cannot please God by our own self-effort. Let me just share with you some of my own journey in this. Because we all have our own stories and our own journey, but it might be an encouragement to you to hear some of my journey. Uh, I grew up in a home where six kids and it was hard to get attention and I longed for attention. And so I learned pretty quickly that I might be able to get attention if I tried really hard. And so I got into high school and I had three areas that I thought, if I can just be successful in one of these, maybe, maybe I'll get the attention that I want the approval that I want from my father in particular. So one of those areas I tried in was academics. And I was fairly smart, you know, so I, I worked hard. I would uh, seek to get the best grades I could. A t- couple of classes I took that I really enjoyed were art and band. Okay, electives. But as soon as I got a B in either of those classes, I got a B in each of those classes, I quit them immediately. Why? Because I was so driven to succeed. The problem was, I lived in a town with a girl who was smarter than me. She always beat me. In the end, she was valedictorian, I was salutatorian. And I never could quite beat her. It was never enough, no matter how hard I tried. So that really never worked. The second area I tried to perform in, to succeed in, with sports. I thought if I can just be successful, maybe I'll get the approval I long for. So I poured myself into it. I worked. I did extra workouts. I did all kinds of things. And, and uh, I was in wrestling. And one year, I thought I can really be successful if I can drop down to a lower weight. I was already thin. And I literally starved myself for about four months where my body systems were beginning to break down. I mean, literally, I could not think straight in class. I mean, my body systems were just breaking down because I was so driven. I have to succeed at this. My senior year, I was captain of three different teams, co-captain. But you know what? I was never that great an athlete. Never really succeeded. Never really worked for me. The third area I tried to succeed in was socially. I thought, 
okay, if I can just be friends with everybody, then maybe I'll feel the approval that I long for. So I just was super nice to everybody. But, you know, you always run into people who don't like you. That's just the way life is. And I kept running into those kind of people, and I couldn't get them to like me, no matter how hard I tried. And ultimately, it came down to realizing that, you know what, I was trying so hard to be liked by everybody, but inside I was dying of loneliness. My performance, no matter how hard I tried, didn't work. When I was 17, I committed my life to Christ, and it was so exciting because I finally received acceptance and forgiveness and life in Christ. It was great. But that root of performance went really deep in me. And so I just transferred that over to the Christian life, which is really easy to do because, you know, there's lots of rules and Every church has all these accepted norms that if you work real hard, you're accepted. And if you violate those norms, then you don't get accepted. And so I just transferred all that performance effort to being a good Christian and to being liked by the Christian world. And again, I could somewhat pull it off. You know, I could clean up the outside fairly well. But in the long run, I knew that there were things in my heart, in my life, as I began to read the Word and God began to point out to me, who I really was in myself, living by my flesh. I couldn't change certain attitudes. I couldn't love people the way I knew God wanted me to. I couldn't deal with areas of struggle and thought life that I could not change. And over time, I became more and more imprisoned, more and more feeling condemned, more and more feeling guilty. I was a pastor. I was... You know, you would have said, well, he's doing great in his Christian life, but inwardly I knew I wasn't. I was experiencing guilt, condemnation, failure. I did all all I could. I struggled hard to please God and to please others in the Christian world, but it was not working. At that point, I was ready to quit Christianity. I was more and more broken And I got to the place where I just felt like God must be disgusted with me. I'd never been able to please my earthly father, and now I was realizing I could never please my heavenly father either. Feeling like a phony, a failure, a hypocrite. And guess what? The law was working well. The Christian life was never meant to be lived by law, ever. And yet it's the most natural thing to do is to try to do it. And too many of us end up not getting beyond that guilt and condemnation. And maybe you haven't been like me where you've worked really hard to try to make it. Maybe you've sort of tried and you've kind of said, I'm not going to make it anyway. And you've just kind of quit. And you're sort of just complacent in your Christian life. Or you've escaped into work or you've escaped into pleasure or you've escaped into sex or whatever. But you need to understand you're still functioning by this performance mindset of the world either trying hard to pull it off or giving up because you don't think you can pull it off. It's the same mindset. It's thinking that the only way I can be right with God and get His blessing is by my effort. So is that all there is to the Christian life? (laughs) Praise God, it's not. 
Paul goes on to talk about what faith accomplishes. That's what the law accomplishes. Condemnation and guilt. What does faith accomplish? He goes on to tell us in these next few verses. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, under a guardian, under a nanny. What does he mean? When you come to faith and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it frees you from law. Now again, we we all put our faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you came to faith and your sins were washed away and you were forgiven. But what Paul's talking about is living by faith rather than performance in your Christian life. And he says, when you come to faith to trust him in how you live the Christian life, it frees you from performance. It breaks that prison It takes away the chains. It allows you to begin to function differently. You no longer need someone to point out where you're messing up all the time. You don't need that anymore. That's not how we're meant to live the Christian life. You see, what he's really talking about is what happened when you came to Christ. Is there really any difference? And he'll go on in the book of Galatians. We'll talk about it. But he talks a lot about the Spirit. When I came to Christ, I felt some freedom. I felt something new in my life. I mean, there was some excitement, but in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like I'd changed all that much. But what he's talking about is fundamentally in who you are and your identity, things are completely different because the spirit comes and indwells you in this dark place in your soul. And you are different from the inside out. So he goes on to say, not only does faith free you from performance, but it gives you an entirely new identity. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're a son of God, he says. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptized in, he's not so much talking about water baptism, he's That word means immersed or placed into. And he doesn't say placed into water. He says placed into Christ. When you said, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, your life is joined to him. You are placed into Christ and you get an entirely new identity. Whether you feel that way or not, you do, he says. And you become a son of God. Why not son and daughter? Well, because sons were the privileged ones In their culture, they were the heirs of the inheritance and were clothed with Christ. Here's, I think, what Paul has in mind as he describes this. When kids were growing up, as we said, a nanny would guide them and tell them where they're messing up. (laughs) Keep them in line. When they were young, kids in that Greek world would wear a toga. It's called a toga protexta. And that toga, everyone would look at them and go, yeah, he's a little kid. (laughs) He's under a nanny. But they would have a ceremony of sonship when a son reached a certain age. And at that point, the father bestowed on the son a new toga. The toga virilis, it's called. And because he had that toga, because of the sonship, he is now, was now considered a full citizen of Rome. 
He was considered to be a full member of the family who could give input at family discussions now. He was considered an adult. He was considered to be a full, complete son in good standing. No longer a little kid. And Paul is using that analogy and saying, when you put your faith in Christ, you got a new toga. (laughs) Talk about a toga party. You got a new toga so that every time God looks at you, he sees you clothed in Christ. He says, you're my son, my daughter, with full rights and privileges. And you know what he says? It doesn't matter what your performance is. You are my son and you have full rights no matter how you perform. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter how we perform. In Romans, we're told, you know, it does cause problems. There are wages of sin. But it does not affect how God views you. He delights in you as a full, complete son of his. When you and I put our faith in Christ, the old dependent little kid us died and we became a full child of our Heavenly Father. And as I began to realize that after living by performance for so long in my Christian life that I am a son that He delights in and my performance cannot affect that, life began to change for me. I began to live differently because I began to understand that I really am his son no matter what. I don't have to earn his approval. I can rest in that relationship and delight in him. Now this week I saw some attitudes in myself that I was struggling with and I saw that I wasn't as loving as I needed to be. I saw some thought, things in my thought life that were, I didn't like, that were bad and, and I began to feel a lot of condemnation and guilt. And all of a sudden I went, you know, I know that voice. That's my old nanny. I don't have to listen to that. Yes, I need to turn away from sin, but when I turn to the Lord and delight in the fact He loves me, I'm turning away from sin. And I'm free and I can enjoy the freedom of relationship with Him. I don't have to feel condemned and beat myself up until I feel somehow worthy to come back in His presence. That's performance. Instead, I can come, Lord, yeah, I was sorry about that. That was not good. I somehow got away from depending on you. Lord, I want to, I love you. Thank you that you delight in me. You see the freedom we have as children of Christ. Real children with full rights and identity in him. So faith gives us, frees us from the law, gives us a new identity, and it gives us a new community as well. Verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. A Jewish male would pray this prayer. Praise be to you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, because you have not made me a Gentile. (laughs) Praise be to you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, because you have not made me a woman. Praise be to you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, because you have not made me a slave. And a good Jewish man would pray that prayer regularly. Paul probably prayed that prayer. But see, that's what the law does, what performance does. It causes us to judge others, to divide, to try to put ourselves above others because we perform better or we somehow are born better or whatever than someone else. And Paul says, you know what? In the kingdom of God, everything's different. 
Those distinctions are not your identity anymore. They don't matter anymore. It doesn't mean you're not still Jewish background or maybe economically you have less money or that you aren't still male or female, but that that is not your primary identity. Your primary identity is that you're clothed with Christ. You are a son, you are a child of his, and that is who you are. So faith gives us a whole new community, a community where all those distinctions do not determine how valuable we are. We are completely equal in him, completely equal. Now, Paul still sees differences, I mean, in the scriptures between men and women, between slave and free, because he talks about how we are to relate as those. But he says we are totally equal in Christ. We're all part of the same family, and therefore, none of those things really matter. The Ostrowski family dedicated Timo, you remember that, you may remember that, uh, this fall. They adopted him from the Ukraine this summer. He was an orphan. But that's not his identity anymore. He was adopted into their family, the Ostrowski family. And now his identity is he is an Ostrowski. He's a son of Marty and Corinne. And we are sons and daughters of God himself, the living Lord of all the universe. The final thing that faith does is it gives us a new destiny. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now get this. At the beginning of the passage, he said, there was a promise that came to Abraham and to his seed. That seed is Christ. Well, how do we get to be heirs of the promise? How do we get to be heirs of all those promises to Abraham to, that we would be blessed, that he would favor us, and that we would become a blessing to others? When you put your faith in Christ, you became joined to the only seed that is the heir to the promise, Jesus himself. When you joined your life by faith to Christ, you became the seed, the heir of Abraham. And so we have a new destiny. All those promises of blessing now apply directly to us. Gentiles. Whoever has put their faith in Christ, Jew, Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we are joined to him and we have a new destiny. We are heirs of all the promises to Abraham. Living by performance is natural in this world. But once you've been joined to Christ, there is an entirely new way to live. He sees you as joined to Christ. You're one with him. You're a son, a full-fledged son with a new identity, a new robe. And every time God looks at you, he says, yeah, I delight in her. I delight in him. No matter what your week has been like. See, no matter what your performance this last week, to God, you're a 10. You are a 10. Always. And that's the good news of the cross. And we want to celebrate communion because God accomplished something for us that we could never accomplish on our own. So let me pray and then we will take communion together to celebrate what he has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, what good news this is that we do not have to perform to get your favor 
Because if we're honest, Lord, we know that we cannot do it. Thank you that you delight in us because we have been joined to Christ. And Lord, we confess to you now as we prepare to sit together as a family, as your sons and daughters at this table, we confess that we too often fall into performance. We too often try to do it on our own. We too often, out of pride, want to control our own lives. We confess that now to you and we ask you, Lord, to help us to live in the reality by faith of what you have done in making us your children. And so we celebrate you now. We celebrate that you have done what we could never do for ourselves, given us full life, full approval in you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.